The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. On June 29, 2017, 23-year-old Molly McLaren prepared to spend the morning working off some stress at the gym, as she'd done so many times in the past. She had no way of knowing just how horrifying and inescapable a simple part of her routine would become. Join me now as we take a look back into the case of a young woman caught in the grim outcome of opening up her heart, looking for love in a place where so many had found it before. In 1994, Doug and Joe McLaren of Cobham, Kent, in the United Kingdom, welcomed a baby girl into their family, a precious daughter they named Molly. From the beginning, Molly was surrounded with as much love and support as any child could ever want, and she quickly forged a close bond with her parents that carried her through some of the most challenging moments of her life. Born with a bubbly personality, Molly made friends extraordinarily fast. Her wide electric blue eyes were just part of what made people magnetically attracted to her. Her round face had a veritable library of expressions, making her so relatable and funny to those around her. She had that sort of welcoming charm that brought people close, and her winning personality kept them as close friends and trusted confidants. Growing up, Molly spent her active youth around Chatham, Kent, in the southeastern side of the United Kingdom, a sparkling and beautiful coastal town surrounded by shining water and green rolling hills that overlooked the massive River Medway. It's a place where graceful masts of sailboats poke into the air Beautiful brick houses line the streets, and tiny shops sell unique one-of-a-kind trinkets, signaling the existence of a peaceful, quiet port town, rich in history and culture. This tiny rural community also witnessed the development of a spirited and loving young woman who gradually claimed so many of its residents as her friends. However, Life wasn't without its challenges for Molly. What could arguably be called her most vicious demon came not in the form of a human, but from within her own mind as she battled bulimia, an extremely dangerous eating disorder. Sufferers of bulimia often view themselves in disproportion to reality, 
seen overweight and unappealing reflections of themselves. They effectively live in fear of gaining weight and will go to no risky lengths to lose it and keep it off. As Molly fell prey to the devastating condition, her self-confidence shattered into pieces and she was losing control of her life. She kept the bulimia secret, afraid of worrying her loved ones, as well as fearful of their thoughts, of her struggles. Fighting to regain control, Molly set her sights down a path of self-rediscovery. Throughout her battle, she managed to keep her day-to-day -day life going, holding down several jobs between the years of 2011 and 2017. Positions she held included everything from receptionist to floor support at a men's shoe store to waitressing. It was while working at Ted Baker, a high-end clothing store, she met another girl her age named Amy Lee, who had also struggled with an eating disorder. The two bonded almost immediately. Amy believed that anyone who could summon up the courage to continue fighting for control over such a devastating disorder, was courageous. Molly's bravery in her battle gave Amy the strength she needed to continue the fight against her own daily struggles. By 2015, Molly finally felt confident enough to begin building her life in the direction she wanted it to go. She was regaining control of her self-image and although the battle continued, she was making visible headway. Taking her newfound passion for health one step further, she enrolled at the University of Kent to study physical fitness, sport, and health education. She also started a blog on Facebook called Take Your Own Advice. In it, she shared her personal experiences regarding her troubled years as well as positive and uplifting quotes. Her hope was to not only encourage those around her to live happier lives, but to also show the world the struggles she'd overcome as she secured a brighter and more fulfilled future for herself. At first, Molly's mother, Jo, was apprehensive of Molly's education plans, worried the pressure would only worsen her daughter's condition and she might relapse. But Molly's determination to succeed shone through as she began her studies. Joe noticed a tremendous positive change in her daughter's usual anxious overlook. In fact, Molly was now radiating confidence and newfound purpose. Joe said it actually had the opposite effect. It helped her get over the bulimia. From then on, Joe was universally supportive of Molly's decision. Relieved and thrilled, her girl was finally happy. Molly thrived in her new environment, excelling at her studies and racing toward a first-class degree very quickly. But her demons continued to linger, tormenting her mind with thoughts of worthlessness and imperfection. To help her overcome the negative thoughts, Molly once again turned to her blog. There, she allowed her anxiety a chance to escape 
in the form of the written word, penning uplifting little blurbs to encourage both herself and others. Life was truly beginning to look up for Molly as she passed the threshold of adolescence into adulthood. Surrounded by loving friends and family, and with one foot in the door to success, everything was finally falling into place. Even so, Molly still felt that something was missing. As 2016 rolled around, she began to desire companionship, a chance to share her life and achievements with that special someone. With that goal in mind, Molly downloaded the Tinder app onto her cell phone. In September of 2012, Tinder was launched for the first time, and within four years, not only had it become one of the most highly sought-after dating apps, but it also popularized the mechanic that would soon become commonplace in dating apps. Swipe right. Matches are created based on personality data collected from users, who could then swipe right to approve or swipe left to dismiss potential matches. Celebrity usage skyrocketed its popularity among the general public, creating a database of over 47 million members and counting. In the summer of 2016, Molly joined that number, hoping to find her perfect match. And it wasn't long before she found herself matched with then 25-year-old warehouse employee, Joshua Stimson. A handsome young man with dark hair, sharp brown eyes, and a narrowed face. Tinder matched them because of similar interests they shared, like their appreciation for health and fitness. Intrigued, Molly swiped right on Joshua, who was about four years her senior. Molly's friend Amy was supportive of her enthusiasm and prospects for what the future might hold. She said, she never really had a lot of boyfriends. She was quite passionate about finding the right person. It was clear that Molly was seeking more than just someone to be with. She wanted the same deep connection her parents had enjoyed their entire marriage. So it felt strangely poetic when she met Joshua. Not only did he share similar interests, but he was handsome and lived only nine miles away from Molly's parents' home in Kent. As they began to chat back and forth through Tinder, Molly began to entertain thoughts of perhaps connecting with Joshua in person. But before the first date, Molly confessed feeling slightly nervous about meeting him to her mom. However, that quickly subsided once they were face to face, and she later remarked that he seemed quite normal. Before introducing Joshua to her family, Molly made a point to mention to her mother that Joshua suffered from bipolar disorder, a complex mental illness that can cause unusual mood shifts and a hampering of day-to-day -day life and activities. It can be a tough fight for anyone, and outside help is often required to maintain normal function. Immediately put on guard, Joe questioned whether Molly was prepared to handle both Joshua's issues and her own struggles at once. But Molly didn't seem concerned and explained they might be a good match for each other. Claire Bishop, one of Molly's cousins, said she thought Molly considered Joshua someone she could help because that was her nature. 
That's just who she was. Molly had always been a very kind, warm-hearted person and had demonstrated that her entire life. She was dedicated to those she loved, and it was clear Joshua would be no exception. Molly understood how hard Joshua must have been fighting to keep up his average life. It was possible she saw a reflection of herself in him and hoped to guide him through his battles, just as her family had loved and guided her. After becoming official, Molly decided it was finally time to introduce Joshua to her family. Her parents greeted him warmly, and Joshua sat down to chat with her father. He and Doug talked about soccer and enjoyed a beer together. Doug remarked, with relief, how nothing really seemed out of the ordinary about the young man. Joshua was well-mannered and friendly, and quite chatty with her family. Joe watched him the entire evening, happy to see how outwardly normal he appeared to be, and how happy he seemed to make Molly. As Molly and Joshua continued to build their relationship, they often posted photos of themselves on Facebook. They went on walks together, worked out at the gym together, and even spent time with Molly's countless friends. During the majority of the weekends, Joshua hung out with Molly's family, preferring to be at their home rather than his own. It even got to the point where he spent Father's Day with Doug instead of his own father. While they found it a bit strange, they didn't question it and welcomed the sweet yet troubled young man into their home. Joshua's family had hit some rough patches during his life. His mother had left the family when he was very young, sending him into a tailspin. Joshua's father truly believed Molly had been a powerful, benevolent force in his son's life, helping him to have self-respect and confidence again. The pair radiated so much love that it seemed unthinkable that anything might be wrong. But something was changing. Early on, Molly noticed Joshua never introduced her to any of his friends, even though he'd met nearly every one of hers. She had no idea what sort of people he spent his time with. Joshua also played soccer on Sundays. However, despite pleading to let her come and watch him, he never allowed her anywhere near the field. Molly figured, it was because Joshua didn't want his soccer friends to see her. Her mother Joe thought, perhaps, he didn't want other guys looking at her. Four months into their relationship, strange things slowly became more and more apparent to Molly's family, fueling their slowly growing apprehension of Joshua. Aside from barring Molly and her family from his social life, Molly's father, Doug, began to suspect Joshua didn't have many friends to start with. Joshua also showed no interest in spending any time with Molly's friends anymore, preferring the company of Molly alone. And as Molly's school schedule became increasingly demanding, he refused to give her the space she needed to study. He actually seemed offended when Molly requested time alone to focus on schoolwork or even when she just simply wanted some time to herself. Many times, he'd just show up uninvited. When Molly's summer break kicked in, Joshua quit his job 
hoping to use the extra hours to spend more time with her, which annoyed her, and she pushed him to get another job. Through all of it, including her increased exhaustion and frustration with his changing demeanor, Molly still sought to help and support Joshua. She wanted him to push himself to his full potential and to find as much happiness as she'd found in life. But Joshua wanted only one thing, to be with Molly, and he was smothering her. That's when Molly started to feel afraid that the more Joshua's behavior continued, the more she'd begin to slip back into her old anxious ways, including the re-emergence of the bulimia she'd viciously battled for years. Taking that into account and realizing she needed time to breathe, she told Joshua the two needed some space to collect themselves. She wanted him to understand that while she loved him, he was far too close and far too possessive and desperate. She wanted him to breathe too. He needed to try and figure out a goal in life so he'd have something else to focus on other than her. She really wanted him to understand, but he didn't. Joshua began telling her she was just stressed out about life, school and family, and that in reality, it wasn't him she was upset with at all. In his eyes, he'd done nothing wrong. He had her best interests at heart all along, and he loved her. Molly reassured him she still cared deeply for him, but their disagreement had left a dark nudging in her mind. Despite her growing misgivings over his attempts to manipulate her, she kept quiet about the issue and resumed her day-to-day -day activities. That included a family affair that was a 45-minute drive north in the town of Essex to celebrate her aunt's 60th birthday. Joshua joined her, and they booked a room at an inn near the venue to spend the night. Molly was introduced to several cousins she'd never met before. It was then Molly's family began to notice Joshua's increasingly strange behavior. During the celebration, he sat very close to Molly, refusing to leave her side unless she was with him. When Molly got up to dance with her cousins, Joshua stared at her the entire time. It was like he was jealous of Molly spending any amount of time with anyone else other than him. When the party was over, the family headed back over to the inn for the night. Molly's mom, Joe, remarked that they hadn't even settled in for more than 20 minutes when she received a text from her daughter requesting her to go to her room. When Joe arrived at their door, she found Joshua in an irritated state and her daughter appearing distraught. As it turned out, Joshua had been recording Molly on his phone taking notes of behavior he didn't like, riling her up, and then recording her reactions to his antics. This odd behavior had Molly's parents convinced something wasn't quite right about Joshua. Drained and exhausted, Molly finally decided enough was enough. She confided in her mother her concern over Joshua's demeanor and his refusal to be more positive she told her mom she didn't feel the same way about him as she once did and had come to the conclusion 
he wasn't the one for her. In the best interests of both of them, she decided she needed to end it. Initially worried about how Joshua would feel, Molly waited for the right opportunity to break the news to him. She wanted to be sure he'd be okay, showing her deep level of care for him. On June 17, 2017, while Molly was out for a night on the town, celebrating her 24th birthday, the time had come. Perhaps feeling safe in a public place, surrounded by friends, Molly ended her relationship with Joshua Stimson. And he didn't take it well. A period of brief silence was broken, with him shouting out, She's just finished with me. Molly felt intense relief wash over her, as well as a lingering doubt and guilt. She regretted doing it so publicly, admitting to her mother that perhaps she shouldn't have allowed her impulses to get the better of her. However, what was done was done, and it was clear it was what Molly needed. Over the next few weeks, Joshua frequently tried to contact Molly, calling her and texting her constantly begging her to work things out with him. While Molly confessed that breaking up with him in public had been a poor choice, she remained adamant. She wasn't going to get back together with him. As Joshua started to realize, Molly was no longer under his control. His behavior became mean and vengeful. Turning to social media, particularly Facebook, Joshua began posting abusive messages on Molly's page. He would even tag her family and friends in terrible messages, accusing her of all sorts of crazy things he'd made up, allowing her entire world to view her apparent misdeeds. Although Molly's loved ones didn't believe a word of it, the effect on her was plainly obvious. She was growing increasingly anxious and upset. Several of her friends were so disturbed by Joshua's actions that they messaged him asking him to stop. But the derogatory slander continued. By that point, Molly's mother Joe had had enough. She'd quietly watched Joshua's disturbing behavior for far too long. That's when Molly and her mother went to the police station. After explaining the situation, they were instructed to block Joshua on all forms of social media and to have everyone else do the same. Molly asked a few friends to keep him in their sights, so she was aware of what he was up to and posting online. Everyone else blocked him out entirely. In a file, Molly began saving all the messages Joshua had been sending her, and she took it to the police. After doing a background search, police didn't discover anything suspicious about Joshua. While Molly and her mother were there, the police called Joshua and put him on speakerphone. During the call, Joshua sounded cold and angry, insisting on his innocence. Police told Joshua that if his negative behavior continued, they would arrest him. To which he replied, there's more to come. As Molly tried to move on with her life, she made plans to meet up with friends at a local restaurant, which she posted on her Facebook page. 
Later that evening, Joshua showed up. He made no attempt to speak to Molly or her friends, just stared at her. Molly was shaken and couldn't figure out how he'd found out she was there. He shouldn't have been able to see what she posted to her friends. Their fears were stronger than ever, and Molly's mother was becoming more and more worried about her daughter's safety. Creating somewhat of a neighborhood watch, Molly's mom passed out photos of Joshua to their neighbors, and she asked them to warn them if he tried showing up around the McLaren home. Molly tried to put him showing up at the restaurant out of her mind, brushing it off as a mere coincidence. The following morning, on June 29, 2017, Molly headed to the gym at Chatham Dockside to record some workout routines for a university course. While she was there, Joshua suddenly appeared. Terrified, she immediately contacted her friend Amy and sent her a picture of Joshua, who was just a foot away from her. Molly stopped her workout and approached Joshua on the floor, demanding to know what he was doing there. He told her it was none of her business and proceeded to ignore her. Unnerved, she grabbed her things and rushed out of the room. Molly then called her mother and told her Joshua had shown up. Joe urged her daughter to leave immediately and go straight home at once. So Molly left the room and waited until Joshua had exited the gym. Just after 11.01 a.m., Molly messaged Amy, saying she planned to have no further contact with Joshua ever again. It would be the last text Amy would ever receive from her. As Molly headed to her car, she was still sending text messages as she got in. Not more than a minute later, Joshua was wrenching open her door after following her in the parking lot. Before Molly could raise her hands to defend herself, Joshua began viciously attacking her with a knife. At that same moment, a bystander named Benjamin Morton happened to be walking by with his dog. Without hesitation, Benjamin immediately rushed over and began banging on the hood and windows of Molly's car, yelling out to Joshua to stop killing her. He was desperate to do anything to distract Joshua and get him to stop attacking Molly. As he screamed to another passerby to call police, he reached for Joshua's leg, attempting to pull him off Molly. But his leg was covered in blood and his grip slipped. Benjamin then began slamming the door on Joshua's leg, fighting to pull his attention. But to his horror, Joshua simply pulled his leg further into the car and continued. By that point in the attack, Molly had been stabbed close to 75 times. Realizing Joshua had switched from stabbing her to cutting at her throat, Benjamin realized she wasn't going to make it. That's when he shifted his efforts to blocking Joshua's car in with his own. As police arrived on the scene, Benjamin and other witnesses flagged Joshua as the assailant, 
However, Joshua walked right up to the police on his own, calmly identifying himself. By the time paramedics arrived, it was clear nothing could be done to save Molly's life. At 11.45 a.m. on June 29, 2017, Molly McLaren had her life maliciously stolen from her. The shock wave of Molly's death ripped its way through her community, absolutely devastating friends and family, and the whirlwind that followed would haunt everyone for years to come. Joshua Stimson was placed under arrest at the scene. He denied the murder charge, insisting he was guilty of manslaughter under diminished responsibility, citing bipolar disorder as the source of his manic actions. Joshua was put on trial at Maidstone Crown Court for the murder of Molly McLaren, and very precise steps were taken to place him under a microscope. Joshua's attorney explained to the court that his client had a troubled childhood. His mother had left the family early on, instilling in Joshua a fear of abandonment and rejection during his most formative years. Joshua was also examined by a psychiatrist named Dr. Philip Joseph, who reported some chilling results. According to the doctor, Joshua didn't suffer from bipolar disorder at all. Instead, displayed some narcissistic traits and a total lack of remorse for his actions. Security footage also presented showed Joshua at two local stores, making purchases of a pickaxe and a small kitchen knife just two days before the attack. Both weapons were found in his possession after his arrest. Detective Sergeant Allie Wharton suggested this showed calculated preparation to murder Molly and that there were no signs Joshua lacked the mental capacity to control himself. Other security footage from the gym also showed Joshua pacing up and down the stairwell, clearly agitated. The most chilling footage showed him following Molly into the workout room and then leaving the building soon after she left. Recent colleagues of Joshua described him as two-sided. When he interviewed for his position, he came across as a bright and charming young man who stood out by a mile. The colleagues also reported there often being days when Joshua would become depressed and act like an irrational loner who shunned conversation. They also noted that before Molly's murder and following his brief breakup with her in March, Joshua's behavior had changed. He was prone to crying and agitation, often failing to show up to work. That went on for a couple of months. His work ethic had also become so sporadic, it was agreed that Joshua should make the switch to working part-time instead. It was on June 29th, the first day off from his new shift change, Joshua viciously attacked and murdered Molly. Before this, co-workers stated Joshua had confided in them, saying he had thoughts of doing something stupid, although he wouldn't elaborate. 
Alexandra Dale and Lee Hubbard also testified, both of whom had had previously short-lived relationships with Joshua. The women described him as controlling and possessive. Alexandra recalled an incident where Joshua called her over 25 times after a night out, followed by a series of increasingly threatening messages, as well as candid shots of her backyard garden. After her mother's tires were slashed, Alexandra went to the police. Unfortunately, her report was dismissed as the messages weren't considered a crime and there wasn't enough evidence to accuse Joshua of slashing the tires. Instead, police texted Joshua, warning him to leave Alexandra alone. Joshua's response? He threatened to fly out to where Alexandra was vacationing and drown her. When Alexandra reported the threat to police, they responded by advising her to keep her whereabouts secret. Lee recalled similar interactions, increasingly controlling behavior whenever she couldn't spare time for Joshua. She described him showing up at her apartment extremely late one night and a brief period of stalking. Once, he followed her to a bar and even spat his drink out at her before exiting and stalking her again from the parking lot. She too was forced to threaten him with police action if he ever came near her again. Prosecution argued Joshua's plan to execute Molly hadn't been caused by a lack of impulse control or bipolar disorder, but a desire to control her and anger resulting from her attempt to escape from him. The jury also rejected Joshua's claim of mental instability. In less than four hours, they unanimously declared him guilty of Molly's murder, and he was sentenced to a minimum of 26 years in prison. In addressing Joshua, Judge Adele Williams said Molly's murder was a cruel, calculated, cowardly act, and that Joshua had been determined to seek revenge on Molly for ending their relationship. Judge Williams finally informed Joshua she believed he was a highly dangerous young man who would pose a considerable threat to women in the future. She continued by stating, he would likely never be released for his wickedness. Molly's parents, while relieved by the verdict, were still left unsatisfied. The police system, which should have protected Molly before things escalated to the point they had, failed their daughter in the most critical part of her fight against Joshua. In failing to take her complaints seriously, law enforcement had made it easier for Molly to be taken so violently from them. In response to the tragedy, Staffordshire police have worked tirelessly to change their policies so that stalking is now considered a crime regardless. Joshua had successfully stalked three women, including Molly, before his actions were ever taken into grave account. Molly had done everything police advised her to do to avoid any danger. Joe and Doug mournfully stated that had police taken Alexandra and Lee's claims seriously, 
Staffordshire police would have found a record on Joshua and perhaps would have taken Molly's claims more seriously. As a result, maybe she would still be alive. Inspired by Molly's strength, her friends and family have worked together to set up the Molly McLaren Foundation. In life, Molly's greatest achievement was overcoming demons brought about by her eating disorder. She wanted nothing more to inspire and encourage others towards a path of freedom. The foundation raises money for people suffering from eating disorders and helping them to gain the strength and bravery Molly had found. Molly's mantra was, the battle is not forlorn, it can be won. This has become the mantra of the foundation and the memory of its cherished inspiration that keeps it going strong. Her Facebook page and blog remain active, waiting for any in need of motivation. Molly's tragic death has also helped to raise significant awareness of the dangers of cyberstalking and in recognizing patterns of femicide. In a way, crucial changes have been made to improve how women are protected from potentially dangerous partners and to take their voices into account. Molly's family treasures the memory they have of her while continuing to grieve her loss. They keep her light and legacy burning in the hopes of a better future where beautiful women like her are safer and supported. Although time will never take away the pain of losing someone so incredibly unique, the essence of who Molly was will live on through her foundation and the countless women's lives she will touch. And now I would like to introduce to you the podcast, Women's Meditation Network Podcast. It's hosted by a friend of ours, and she has an entire library of free guided meditations. And here's Katie. Thanks so much, Tyler. I'm Katie Kremitzos, and I'm the creator of the Women's Meditation Network Podcast. Meditation is a powerful tool to not only find peace amongst the chaos, but to give ourselves a chance to take a pause so we can follow our own inner wisdom as we show up to create our lives every day. I created the Women's Meditation Network because I wanted to give women easy access to guided meditations that can help them live more intentionally, more bravely, and more vibrantly. And even though each of us are unique, there's a collective experience that I hope to support through these meditations. And I've deliberately made these meditations approachable and simple to do. So whether you're totally new to meditation or you've been meditating for years, I promise the meditations on the Women's Meditation Network will feel refreshing, calming, 
and centering. There's an entire library of free guided meditations for you to listen to, and new ones come out every week. Meditations like Detach from Your Thoughts, Relax Your Body into Sleep, and Wake Up and Shine, a daily morning meditation, are available to you right now. So go subscribe to the Women's Meditation Network podcast by searching for it on your favorite podcast player, or go to womensmeditationnetwork.com forward slash podcast. The Minds of Madness can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and all other podcast platforms. Ad-free episodes of this show are available on Stitcher Premium. If you would like to support this show and get some extra perks, including extra content, early release, and ad-free episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. You can find our website by going to mindsofmadnesspodcast.com. To find us on Facebook and Instagram, search The Minds of Madness. And on Twitter, using the handle at MadnessPod. And finally, the closing track, Feel the Madness, is provided by The Funkors. You can find them at the record label's website by going to goldenerrorecords.com.au slash G-E. I hope they can't get in cause I'm not prepared to run I can feel the madness Someone's standing at my door I hope they can't get in cause I'm not prepared to run I can feel the madness Someone's standing at my door I hope they can't get in cause I'm not prepared to run